Simon. <laughs> welcome, <laughs> welcome back to the firm. And uh, a warm welcome to everybody watching. Um, I am, I don't even know. I don't know why you guys are watching. This is going to be miserable, but hopefully you can share the pain. Look, on your screens, for anybody who's unfamiliar, Simon Collings is joining us. Simon, thank you. Uh, you're, a, you're a football writer at the Evening Standard. You were there at the game yesterday. Uh, so really interested in getting your thoughts on what happened, the, the match, how it unfolded, and of course, all the post-match uh, chaos that's been on, on social media. Um, normal drill. We'll go into the lineup. We'll talk at some of the match stats and then look at some of the boss's comments. Everybody watching, please drop a like on the video and a subscribe to the channel. It really is greatly appreciated. Going into the game, Simon, we'd just seen the blueprint that Mikel Arteta was trying to is trying to build at Arsenal, uh, the game against Manchester City. And going into the game yesterday, I was excited. I'm a long-standing fan of the FA Cup. It's a trophy that I love to win. It's a trophy that I want us to win every year, irrespective of whatever competition we're in. What was the mood like going into that? And were you expecting what we saw? Um, I certainly wasn't expecting what we saw and it, re it reminded me a little bit of the mood before the Brentford game where you knew there were issues with the team and Arteta had hinted that in the press conference saying you know we're really short on numbers possible COVID issues possible injury issues we saw both of those obviously with Xhaka, Tomiyasu, Smithrow so you knew there were going to be changes but there was a bit of excitement about oh, you know, Patino might get an opportunity some of the, the other young guys had gone with the squad so Arsenal are used to cup competitions being these games where young players suddenly announce themselves and put themselves, you know, in people's thoughts and show that they can be, the, you know, the next cab off the rank. Um, and it didn't quite go to plan. And I'm, I'm sure we'll get into that. But a lot of that for me was down down to personnel. Um, you know, seven changes from the Man City game, I think, made a real big difference. And if we've learned anything from it, it's perhaps that there's issues in this squad that, long-term need to need to be addressed really and just before we look at the starting lineup and the changes that you've just mentioned this is very much a trophy that Arteta takes seriously right I mean it's not a case of he's just sacked this off because we've got the League Cup semi coming up at the North London derby I mean I think deep down and you could tell in his post-match reaction there was a uh, an embarrassment about him a, a sternness about him I mean I took that as it's definitely something that he's he, he wants to win right yeah definitely and he alluded to that in his um press conference afterwards which was a, a bit of a change to the usual drill of zoom we actually did it sort of pitch side as just a small huddle with a few of us who were there and he made the point that he was really hurting because the fa cup is linked to arsenal we know about the brilliant record but it's also linked to him you know it's a trophy one as a player it was his first trophy as manager of the club and if he really wanted to you know throw away this competition he could have not played Saka, he could have not played Martinelli, he could not played Odegaard, you know, you could have thrown in Amari Hutchinson, players like this. You could have gone full kids in the competition, but he didn't do that. He actually played a pretty strong team. So 100% this is a competition that he was taking seriously. And also the fact that Arsenal's calendar hasn't been too congested because of the Wolves cancellation. It meant that players sort of needed a game, I think. I don't know if you could have had the likes of Saka not playing for two weeks before games of Liverpool and Spurs so yeah it, it is a competition that he takes seriously and you could see post-match he was angry and, and I think he was upset as well yeah he was deeply upset and we'll, t we'll take a look at the boss's words uh, uh, towards the end of the feature so as per normal let's share on screen the starting lineup from uh, yesterday's game a very much uh, different 
11 to, to what we know as normal. Bernd Leno, perhaps the only player who could maybe walk off the pitch with his head remotely high. I uh, thought he had a decent performance. And then, of course, a back four of Tavares playing at left back, holding in white the, the, the middle two with Cedric Suarez out at right back. Patino coming into the first team, making his first full start alongside Sambi Lakonga. And then, of course, we had Martinelli, Erdegaard and Saka playing behind Eddie Nketiah. And those were our options on the bench. We knew there were going to be changes. We knew that there were going to be injuries. And, and Artes has spoken of peak players missing because of AFCON and COVID. Was that as strong as you'd have maybe expected him to go? Uh, were you surprised by any of those inclusions? Um. I think it was about as strong as he could go, really. Um, I've seen Arteta's been getting a bit of a bit of stick, not necessarily from um, sort of Arsenal fans on Twitter, but outside of that, people saying, you know, he's made seven changes. But the vast majority of those seven changes were done out of necessity. You know, Jack has got COVID, parties at AFCON, um, Gabriel suspended, Tommy Asu injured. So the only three where he had a choice were Leno for Ramsdale, which... I think makes a difference, but I actually thought Leno played quite well. Tavares for Tierney, which I'm sure we'll get on to, and then Nketiah for, for Lacazette. So it's about as strong a team as I think he, as he could really, really name. The only debate I think he possibly might have had in his mind was whether he didn't play Cedric and you, you possibly put Ben White at right back and you maybe play Holding and Mary, but a bit like Chambers, Mary seems to be really out of favour at the moment. So given what we see on the bench there, I'm not sure he could have really unless he wanted to, you know, risk playing Lacazette and Tierney for 90 minutes, couldn't have done as strong a team with rotating as, as he's got there. Before I sort of, you know, sharpen the knives, as it were, and sort of really dig into the team, and that's perhaps a poor poor, poor line to use, actually, given the, the No More Red uh, slogan that we just used over the weekend. So apologies for that, but you know what I mean. The point there is um, I have sympathy for a lot of these players coming into the team for the first time you know they've not got that familiarity patino playing in midfield his first game laconga obviously trying to um sort of you know learn the ropes as it were still a very young boy uh coming in you know it's difficult for players to just come in turn it on turn it off and just play and hit the hit the ground running so i, I have a lot of sympathy but the total um you know, limpness of the performance, you know, no energy, no determination, no drive. Arteta used those exact words after the game. There was nothing about the performance. It was woeful. You know, I thought, you know, watching it at halftime, I thought, you know, this has got defeat written all over it. I tweeted as much saying, look, I feel really uneasy. I don't think this is going to go well. And it was exactly that. And we deserved what we got, which was nothing and being dumped out of the cup. I mean, the performance in itself, without looking at individuals, there was no cohesion in the team. They looked like they just didn't know each other. Um, there was just no structure. The distance between certain players was wrong. And, and there's a really interesting picture that I want to show you on the next slide, actually. But as a team, why do you think it just didn't gel? I mean, is it a case of Arteta not instructing them properly? Is it players just playing? They don't want to be there. They're just not good enough. I mean, what's your general take on the entire team performance yesterday? Yeah, I, I agree with near enough everything you've said there and, and it it was quite odd in, in Arteta's post-match comments which we'll come on to at the end I'm sure but he he made the point it wasn't about the attitude and then sort of described issues which to me sort of seem linked to the attitude you know not having enough hunger dry determination and I'm not sure whether he sort of he meant that in the sense that you know obviously the players had gone out there to win but they didn't apply themselves or didn't you know implement the game plan as was intended to so it was it was quite a sort of weird um 
post-match tape. I don't know if it's something where it might have been a bit lost in translation. Obviously, you know, his English is very good, but it's still not his his first language. So that, that was that was a, an interesting thing. And also, I think with the team, and we you know we spoke about the fact that it wasn't really gelling and it didn't seem to work that well. And I and I look at that that team on the particularly on the left hand side. If you look at what's usually there, you know, Gabriel, Tierney, Xhaka, Martinelli. And you basically only really got Martinelli from that usual left flank. And the issues, I think a lot of it came down there. I mean, Jed Spence been getting a lot of praise. It was brilliant. Tavares obviously coming off after 35 minutes. Patino, first ever start on, you know, what, what can you expect from him? And Holding doesn't play every week. So those four in that area of the pitch, just it didn't really gel for me. It didn't seem to work that well. And on the other side, again, Cedric and Saka, you know, there wasn't the connection that there is when Tommy Asu plays there. And even when I think Ben White played there against Norwich, I think you saw a better link up between the two. And Saka was pretty isolated. I mean, he created the probably two best chances of the game, but compared to what he normally is, he wasn't in the match at all. And and in my my piece after the game, the analysis, the main point I made was those fullbacks being different. I think we've seen this season how crucial they are to the way Arsenal play. And, and last season, you know, bemoaned about the fact that everything comes down the left because that's where Tierney is. And this time when you had no Tierney and no Tomiyasu, I just felt like trying to play through it really broke down. And yeah, it was um, a really, really disjointed performance. And the kind of performance I thought we'd sort of seen the back of, but maybe that's to be expected when you make make so many changes. Yeah, it was almost like we had too many players missing in key positions. So like that spine mm-hmm. that you talk about, the familiarity that you talk about. You mentioned Tavares and Tierney. Fraser's asked, hey, all, has there been any more information about the Nuno sub? And I want to get your thoughts on this. I mean, he clearly wasn't having the best of games, Nuno Tavares. Um, manager's got a couple of options. You either haul them off the way that Arteta did, which is really embarrassing for the player. Um, you know, you, you think about what sort of message that sends out to the team, to the squad, to the individual, to the fans. Or you kind of see it through to halftime, make the halftime change and sort of disguise it as a we needed a, a different structure, different approach in the second half. But he came off and the way he came off, you know, sort of walking off, chucking his gloves to the floor, didn't really want to shake the second or third hand as he kind of went back to the bench. What were you thinking at the time? Because, of course, you were at the stadium and you're watching it all unfold. I mean, were you just sort of as gobsmacked as we were? Yeah, I mean, you could you could see the um, the substitution coming, actually. Um, I mean, Tierney was sent out to warm up quite early and then he came back. Um, and it's difficult to tell with Kieran Tierney because he never has many layers on anyway, but he looked like he was sort of ready to come on. And I think I ended up tweeting probably about two minutes before he came on to say he's, he sat with Steve Round and he's going through the tactics. But about two minutes before that, I was ready to sort of tweet. I think Tierney's coming on here, but I didn't want to send you know, a tweet and then nothing sort of happened. So it was about sort of four or five minutes where you, we could see from the press box uh, the dugout exactly below us that Arteta wanted to change something and there was the sort of last moment where Nuno had the ball up the left and he sort of made this break and he lost the ball I think he was tackled or a bit of poor control and Arteta just spun round and instantly just did that as if like I've had enough get him off now and Tierney took off his uh, bib and came on to come on and I mean the reaction from Nuno I don't really know what what people were expecting, what Arteta was expecting. I think Arteta knows he's a player himself that this isn't going to go down well with Nuno. And I think that was part of the reason why he hasn't gone up to him to sort of, you know, put his arm around him or because, it, you know, what's, what's Nuno going to do? Give him a big hug and say, great, thanks for being off for 35 minutes. I think he knows I've just got to leave him here. Let him have his moment. I think 
it's going to be interesting to see if there are repercussions from this, whether Nuno isn't in the squad for the Liverpool game, whether he comes back in, whether he even starts the game. Um, for me, this is, I think Arteta will be a bit more understanding of this situation, um, partly because it's, you know, Arteta has brought about this, this uh, scenario we now find ourselves in. But I thought it was a really bold call. But then, I, you know, I tweeted at the time, it didn't really surprise me. I mean, we've seen Arteta make big calls only last month. You know, he stripped the Bamming of the captaincy, got rid of Mesut Ozil, Gwendouzi. He will make big calls if he thinks it's the right thing to do. And this is quite a big call to take a yeah, player a, off like that. It was a huge call, Simon. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but he's, you know, he's mm. he's a young boy. He's a new signing. Um, you know, he didn't have the best of games after a very good run. He didn't have the best of games at Anfield and... You just think, well, in terms of man management, in terms of trying to build a player and nurture him and grow his confidence, that was humiliating for him. You know, half an hour against lower league opposition. It's a televised game. It's the FA Cup. So many people are watching, not only in this country, but across the world. I mean, as he's walked off, I, I really, I, I feel for him. Uh, I mean, look, if he plays well, there's nothing to talk about here, right? But the fact is he didn't play well, but there's a way of managing it. I just wonder... I just wonder if maybe even Mikel sort of regrets doing that. I mean, it was, what, 36, 37 minutes on the clock. Um, would it have done, you know, so much harm? We would have waited until halftime. I don't know. But, of course, Kieran Tierney came on. Um, things didn't get better, sadly, but no, not through any fault of his own. Looking at the opposite number at right back, Cedric Suarez, I mean, that was it was as bad as, as we've seen from, from him. Yeah, and I mean, I think you could have justifiably you know, hauled Cedric off after, um, you know, half time or, you know, similar time to take Tavares off because it wasn't working down that side either. And I, I do wonder whether if you look at that bench and the sort of seniority of players you've got on there, and if Arteta said, you know, he wanted to change the direction of the game, other than Lacazette, Tierney's the only other really first team player, obviously got Ramsdale there, who you can bring on to change it. So I do wonder if Cedric sort of survived out of Arteta being like, that, you know, who am I going to take him off for? The Chambers, who I clearly don't really fancy anyway. Um, so I think Nuno was a bit of a victim of Tierney being someone in that team who could make it better. Um, because that whole sort of left side, as you're saying, wasn't really working. And we, we talk about, you know, taking um, taking someone off, you know, killing them and being brutal. I mean, if he'd taken Patino off after 35 minutes into his first start, an 18-year-old kid, you know, what, what sort of message are you sending there? So part of me hopes Arteta knows Nuno as a person and, you know, believes he will be able to take something like that. But, I mean, he's, he wasn't solely to blame for that performance. And on the other side with Cedric, it's a huge drop-off between him and Tommy Asu. It's absolutely massive. Bigger than I think anyone appreciated it would be at the start of the season. But it is night and day between the two of them. Not only in the, their actual ability, but in terms of the style of play and what they bring to the position. It's so yeah. different. Um, and that's what I find difficult because I think Chambers would be a more like-for-like -like replacement, but it seems that Cedric is the person that Arteta wants there. And for me now in the pecking order, I think if um, Gabriel is available, I think Ben White plays right back and you you play Gabriel and Holding, I think. I think it's got to that point. Well, you've prompted me to the question. I mean, what, what mm. of Callum Chambers? I mean, if he can't get into the team ahead of... Cedric Suarez of yesterday he mm. can't get a game in central midfield despite us being really short and I know maybe Arteta had plans to play Patino all along but you know where does he go from here like what's the what's the point of having him in the team if 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 or in the squad if he's just not even gonna 
be considered for, for for backup options like this. But you know, maybe that's a conversation for another day. Uh, Olivier makes a really good uh, good point in the chat. Uh, Nuno might have been upset with himself and not mm. Arteta. You know, he knew he was getting fried, and you know there is that 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 could absolutely be true. So I don't want to be stirring something that's just not there. Moving away from the defenders up into midfield, you mentioned uh, Charlie Bettino. Look, the boy has got supreme talent. And the scouts and the club have been, you know, lauding him for, for a number of years. They know he's the next big thing. He looked very raw and it was it was probably as bad as full starts could have gone for him yesterday. What did you think of his game? Yeah, I felt like he started quite well, actually. There were a few moments where he sort of threw himself into some tackles, put himself about a little bit. But... Um... I think he did really struggle in that in that type of game, and it, and it probably didn't help. You know, he's playing alongside Lukonga, who, let's be honest, isn't isn't massively more experienced than Bettino. Yes, I know he's a few years older, he's got international appearances, but it's not like he'd been if he's playing next to someone like a Xhaka or a Party. I think it would have been a bit easier for him. But to go into that game in an experienced midfield too was a really big ask, and he did his all. He worked as hard as he could. But to, for him to go in there and try and fill the role that Xhaka does, which I think is what he was trying to do, Lukonga seemed to be playing that that deeper role that Party does, and Bettina was just a little bit ahead of him trying to do the Xhaka role. It's such a, a difficult thing to do. But um, I think the hope for Arsenal will be that he'll learn from it. I think it's probably a good experience for him, and it's probably good for the hype train just to die down a little bit. Um, everyone knows he's a great player. Everyone knows he's going to be destined for big things but maybe this just keeps emotions in check and of all the games you could sort of have Patino playing in away at a championship side who are performing well new managers come in you know sort of early on the season really up for it full pack crowd it's just not really the game you wanted to be playing in the, that yeah. Sunderland game at home where you're at home you're in control is much more the environment to play in so uh, this was a game that I don't think Arteta or Arsenal would have penciled in for Patino to start and be playing. You know, um, I really don't think that was the case, but it was born out of necessity and he did his best. And perhaps him, it'll be an experience you look back and you'll learn from. But one of those games where I don't think you can put much blame on, on an 18 year old kid who's, who's just got in there. Yeah, and I absolutely don't want to sort of, you know, put the blame at Patino's doorstep. I think, you know, it's a case of needs bust, but I think it's also a case of seeing, well, when your midfield is so light to chuck him into that, it was very much the deep end for him. Mm. And he's probably walked away from that game thinking, you know, crumbs. <laughs> it's not one of the, well, not, not a nice day out of the office. Uh, it kind of makes me also wonder why we didn't delay the Maitland-Niles loan uh, by by a few days. But of course, you know, there was a fee involved in that. And, and actually, if the buying club or the lo loaning club want, want a player by a certain date, then we've got to release him. Um Martinelli Saka, you know, they're dangerous when they have the ball. They didn't really have the best of days out, but but Inketi is someone I want to talk about again. Loyal friends of mine, fans of the channel will know that I, I have a, a dislike for Inketia because I just don't think he's anywhere near the level that Arsenal need. And he demonstrated that again yesterday, just not getting involved, not running into spaces, not trying to have an influence on the game. I thought he was really poor. What you, what, what was your take on him? Yeah, one of those frustrating games for Nketiah because we seem to go through these patches with him. He's, he's a bit of sort of, you know, sums up the, I mean, you could call it the old Arsenal, but the, the Arsenal that Arsenal are trying to get away from under Arteta that they've had during his reign so far, where the performances are just up and down. And one minute you think, yep, yeah, he's cracked it, he's the man. The next week you're like, 
No, he's not. And for me, it's always been about consistency with him. Don't think you're ever going to get the level of performance over 30, 40 games that you need to play for Arsenal. He's going to have runs of games where he's on a hot streak, but he's going to have games where he blows cold. And, and I know Arteta is a, is a big fan of him um, a lot because of his work rate, his work ethic, the way he implies himself. But I don't think he's cut out to be a centre forward for Arsenal. And that chance he missed with the header is the perfect example of a, you get big teams, which Arsenal hopefully will be, you know, at some point in the future. Big teams have those bad games and they get that one opportunity and bang, it's in the goal. When you've got a brilliant number nine in your team, a quality striker, they just get that one sniff and they punish the opposition. And it was a really poor, tame header. And we were sat, um, I was sat in front of the talk sport guys who were commentating on the game and, you know, Trevor Sinclair afterwards. Was, yeah, <laughs> Trevor Sinclair afterwards was pretty scathing on Inketia because he was making the point. I think it was a valid one. Was if he's not staying at Arsenal, you know, he wants to leave. That was a shot window game. You know, primetime TV in front of the world, and he sort of had a performance like that. So, yeah, really, really poor and summed up Arsenal's night. But he was so distant, and and the link player. No, Lacazette has his issues and his flaws. But the contrast between Lacazette and Nketiah, again, a bit like at fullback, the drop-off there is just so huge for me. And then it's that is a real issue where the players that are coming into the team, as much as the first 11 have been great and look so settled, the gap between the starter and the replacement at the moment just seems to be getting bigger and bigger because the, the first team is performing better every week and the guys trying to get in there um, just don't really look up to it. Lots of comments coming in about Vlaovic, but let's just hope that he's not got <laughs> access to... Let's hope he's not been watching ITV over the weekend. Uh, I want to go on to the match stats itself. So just sort of quickly running through these. Obviously, we know the score was uh, 1-0. They scored quite late on through grabbing seven minutes to go. And, and uh, you know, actually, just on that point, Simon, after going 1-0 down, there was nothing about us. Like, we were passing the ball about between Ben White and Rob Holding. In fact, let me just bring it up on now. There's an image here that shows our sort of passing network. And if you've not seen this before, uh, it shows you obviously all the players. It shows you, you know, the, the thicker the grey line shows the more popular, po the popularity of the pass. Um, and you can see there that Rob Holding and Ben White and Cedric Suarez, the three of them, passing it between themselves. And you can see how small actually Patino, Laconga and, and Nketi are in terms of involvement and touches. That's what the, the size of the circle represents. Mm. Um, so you can see, I mean, we virtually had no midfield yesterday. But, but the defence, I mean, we went 1-0 down and the number of times, Rob holding to Ben White, Ben White to Suarez, back to Ben White. It was just, I was sat there pulling my non-imaginary hair out thinking, <laughs> what the hell are you doing? Like, not even, you know, chucking it into the mixer and and really sort of you know, asking questions of Forrest. And I think, as the stats show, you know, we had no shots on target. So, look, look at the stats. Going into the game, Nottingham Forest, you know, a couple of a couple of defeats on the spin uh, in the championship, and of course we'd won uh, quite a few games and then got beaten to to City. Possession wise, you wouldn't really expect anything different. We we sort of bossed it, but shots wise, you know, ten shots on goal for Arsenal, none on target. Uh, that is quite the statement, I feel, uh, irrespective of what team you're playing, to not create a chance and a cup tie is 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 a damning indictment, really, of the of the team. Um, Corners, you know, six corners. We, we've we've been much better at set pieces this season, but you know, couldn't really do anything. Sort of yesterday, the XG is quite quite laughable. There, zero point nine for Forest <laughs> and zero point five for us. I mean, when you look at that in the passing network, um, you can understand why Arsenal fans were just sort of you know 
livid really from there you know just sort of watching on tv watching mm. it unfold but the biggest point for me you know going one nil down there was no reaction there was no interest why do you think that was the case i mean it's it summed up the nature of of the game for me where it was just arsenal were just sort of drifting through it and there was no purpose no impetus and that was that was the main thing that i took away was there was no conviction and you know arteta said it himself you know the hunger to win just didn't feel like it was there. And even when the goal went in, which kind of felt inevitable and slightly thankful that there was no extra time to sit through because it was, I mean, as the XG suggests that it was a bad game of football. Um, but it, it's, and they, they, yeah, as you said, there was no real reaction. And I mean, we'll probably come on to the fact he threw Klasnach on as a sub, but he must have turned to his bench then and gone, you know, what do I do? What do I do here really to change it? Um because the players out there were the ones who were going to have to change it. And, you know, we hadn't seen them do it. And, and Arteta is at fault for that as much as them, to be honest. I don't think we should absolve him of any blame in this because it's his responsibility to get them up for a cup game. It's his responsibility to to change it when things aren't going right. But I look at that pass map and it reminds me of last season when we sort of bemoaned the horseshoe of death, I think fans yeah. called it, where it was just going <laughs> down the right, down the left. Yeah. And, and and it's also you can alarming. See it there. You, can you can see, see it, there. it there. You can see that you. It's it's honestly. Yeah. Sorry, and I think sometimes Lacazette, and I think sometimes Lacazette stops that a bit. I think because he's more influential than Inketia at linking certainly those three players behind him. And also, I think again the midfield. The fact you made the point there is absolutely spot on about how small Patino and Lacazette's influence is, and the players with the influence. You know, is Cedric Suarez. I don't know if you want him on the ball that much. And Rob Holding, who, as fine as he is a defender, for me, he's not that ball-playing centre-back that you really need. So that's probably part of the issue there. But, yeah, it's it's, Dyer. it's, it's bad. Yeah, it's bad. There's no really other word for it, is there? And um, I think it's a game that certainly won't live long in the memory for any fans who was there. Well, not for the right reasons anyway. No. Ritesh says, passing accuracy of 80 plus, it didn't look like it. Likewise, my friend, it didn't feel like it, but 80 plus percent of that is coming from Ben White and Rob Holding passing yeah, each other all say. bloody game. Yeah. Um, we talk about the Kalasinac sub. Uh, Shiv, uh, who says, I don't, I don't get it. And I think you speak for many of us, Shiv. Um, there is a theory going around, uh, Simon, that Arteta made that sub with a minute to go, trying to maybe make a message to the board that look, we're chasing a game against lower league opposition. This is all I've got. You know, this is this is as good as we've got. We've got a player here who doesn't want to be at the club, who's being paid a fortune. We can't give him away, uh, even not even as a charity prize. And uh, this is what I'm doing. You know, I'm having to bring on Syed Kalasinac, uh, on, you know, when we're chasing a goal in a cup tie. Um, do you buy that? And why do you think he made that change with a minute to go? Help Shiv, help me. Yeah, <laughs> I mean... It was an odd substitution. And again, the benefit of being in the stadium, you did see Arteta sort of turning around and chatting to Stoivenberg a few times about you know, what can we do here to, to try and change this. And it's an, it's an interesting theory and we're never really going to truly know if Arteta is, is sending a message. But we do know he does like to send messages, certainly in press conferences. I thought his press conference before this match, he was pretty pointed in stressing about you know we need to bring we need to bring in a fielder we're going to move um we need to maximize every window we'd be ready to spend money if it's the right player he does do that a lot of times 
Um, and it's, you know, every transfer window he's been there, Arsenal have bought someone or brought someone in anyway. So I, I do think he is someone who sends messages, certainly to the board about transfers. And it reminds me of the of speaking of fullbacks and sending messages, that Brentford game, first game of the season when he brought on Nuno to play right back when I think he had Chambers and Cedric both sitting on the bench or maybe Bellerin. He had two right backs on the Brent, on the bench and he brought on a left back. And this was before Tommy Asu had signed. And I remember thinking that as like, it's a bit of a message to say, yeah, I've got three right backs, but I want to play the left back there because <laughs> these guys gone up to it. So it's a, it's an odd one. And, and I thought, okay, unless you're bringing on Klasnats to literally be a body up there, throw him in the box. I think in the end, they brought him on to play in a back three and have wing backs and go for it that way. But why not chuck on an Amari Hutchinson, a kid, or, you know, even a Beareth, you know, someone who's got absolutely nothing to lose, no fear, throw them on. They might, you know, we spoke about, spoke about Nketiah, but Nketiah against Norwich when he burst onto the scene. They might have their yeah. moment. So well, Beareth's a centre-forward, and he's a, he's a, a yeah. sizable one at that, you know. Yeah. He's, he's a big, big lad, and you just think... Yeah, absolutely. You're chasing a game, two, three minutes to go, as in a minute of normal time plus some injury time. Just, you know, chuck it into the box, as you say, and just, you know, all right. get all the men in there. Mikey says, tongue in cheek, the whole game was a message. You're absolutely right, my friend. Um, I want to just move on to uh, the boss's words after the game. Oh, and by the way, guys, for those of you guys who are watching these passing networks, courtesy of a very good friend, Scott Willis, who provides all the data and the maps and stuff that I do as part of my breakdowns. He is at O underscore that underscore crab, as you can see on the slide. Final slide, uh, Mikel Arteta's words after the game. You said uh, earlier on in the feature, Simon, that you did a nice pitch side uh, sort of post-match interview stroke conference, which was nice. Uh, what was he like walking up to the camera? Was he, you know, did he give anything away? Was he just like stern-faced? Were you he almost was... scared to ask him questions? <laughs> No, he was, to be fair, he is, I mean, as much as, um, you know, Mikhail can be angry and upset, he is always pretty professional with the media and he's pretty approachable and he won't, I can't think of many occasions where he's sort of flown off the rails in a press conference and <laughs> really taken umbrage or something. Um, but th yeah, I mean, normally the procedure is it would all be done on Zoom, but they basically had all the broadcasters lined up and the written media were there and they just said, look, we're going to bring Mikhail here easier let's just do sort of four or five minutes by the pitch and um yeah he was more than happy to take any questions he didn't um he wasn't going to go there with Nuno <laughs> that was certainly clear <laughs> no matter how many questions were asked he didn't really want to talk about that but um yeah he was he was uh probably keen to get back to London but in fairness to him he stopped and gave us his time and that's that's all you can really ask him yeah he always looks like he's on edge you know sometimes i think to myself those poor journalists have to <laughs> engage with him after a game uh right in terms of complaints about the result this was a question asked by arsenal.com um yeah he turned it into a i have complaints about the performance you know the purpose the drive the determination that we just didn't show it was a way we tried and didn't uh and didn't try that that, that wasn't good enough for him and i think I think he's being honest. I think he's pretty much said exactly what we've spoken about. It was a very flat, limp, woeful and pathetic performance by Arsenal. And I think he's absolutely right to want to sort of expect more, even though they are a uh, cobbled together team. Uh, on the performance, he said, we didn't have the quality to penetrate in the right areas, to get the ball into the final third and create danger, be incisive and attack the right spaces. And of course, when that happens, difficult to score goals. I think actually we've talked about the midfield structure and how, you know, Lukonga and Patino had such a tiny influence on the game and everything went down our sort of right back and left back. And, you know, then we sort of ran out of ideas. And, 
you know, that's something that he needs to work on because when our first 11 are playing, it's a completely different story. But beyond the first 11, there's really not much there. I mean, is there anything else you want to add on the performance before we go on to the final thing? No, I think, um, yeah, it was just, yeah, I said it at the start, it was a performance that reminded me of days gone by under Arteta where there was no real creativity, lacking shots on goal, lacking impetus, lacking control, lacking purpose. And I thought we thought we were sort of done with these games. Um, but maybe not when you change change the players in the system. But yeah, I think everything he said there was was right. And and that that point about quality to penetrate in in the right areas really was key. And I think that passing map summed it up better than anything else really. They didn't didn't have the quality to to break through. So they ended up just sort of knocking it around the back and not playing with any real purpose. And that is sometimes more infuriating as a fan than, you know, having an absolute seesaw game where it's end to end and it's a bit like a basketball game to have that sort of match where you've got the ball all the time, but you're not doing anything with it. Yeah. Um, it's really difficult to watch. What were the Arsenal fans like? Because obviously watching it on TV, the, the atmosphere was obviously rocking, you know, not in forest hosting a big club like Arsenal, big tie on television under the floodlights, blah, blah, blah. But did you sense any tension, friction, jeers, maybe booing at the, at the full-time whistle? Were, were the Arsenal faithful in, in in good good voice? No, they were actually they were actually pretty good to be fair. They, they were um, noticeably singing Lacazette's name uh, a fair bit before he came on. I think they were quite keen to get him get him on the pitch, and um, the vast majority of them, well, near enough, all the away fans stayed at the end as well to applaud the players who went over and acknowledged the fact that. You know that was a pretty poor performance. Have fans travelling all the way up to the Midlands for, so they were they were great. And they, you know, again Sunday five o'clock, not really a great kickoff time, but they've absolutely packed out the away end. Um, I just hope it wasn't as bad getting back as it was um, for Charles Watts. Anyway, who I believe <laughs> yeah. is back home. Yeah, but, shout uh, out for Charles. <laughs> I hope uh, for anybody who's unfamiliar, Charles obviously you know football writer, great friend of the firm. He had a burst tire on the motorway and sort of you know didn't make the game sadly and uh, there was a joke after the game at his expense but uh, hopefully you've made it home Charles I know you're watching uh, loads of Forest fans in the chat there's a, there's a Darlington FC fan in the chat Here, let's just bring Ian up Ian Barron says hi guys I'm a Darlington FC fan we were made bankrupt in 2011 reformed in 2012 demoted four leagues we're currently a fan-owned National League North Club we've had three promotions to date with a little kiss lovely nice to meet you Ian thanks very much for watching uh, going back to the the final comment that I wanted to pick out from from the post match was on the rotation piece we're missing nine players he said you know but that's too easy an excuse I mean well you've made your point already Mikel but all right fair enough um <laughs> we have what we have we know what we have and we've got issues in different positions we put out the most competitive team that we could today uh you know to try and win the game and of course it wasn't good enough simon the million dollar question million pound question million euro question wherever you're watching um transfer window is 10 days in uh we do have uh, a, a very thin squad uh we've talked about the potential message to the board by playing kolasinac um, lots of talk about Dusan Vlaovic, the centre forward at, at Fiorentina, potentially Isaac, but central midfield is really worrying me. You know, Party's not going to be back for some time. Does Xhaka come back for Liverpool? Is he, you know, I don't know what's the situation with this COVID. And do you think we're going to be active? Judging from Arteta's comments, um, I think they will. I think they will be active. Um, they've, they've wanted, you know, I think they, I think in an ideal world, I think they would have signed the midfielder and the striker possibly both in the summer, um, which is a better market to operate. We all know that. 
difficult doing deals in January given the, the short time frame. Um, so I think if if we were in the, you know the, the right environment, I think they would have waited until the summer to do this. But the fact is, Arteta has stressed the point they need to act now. And the midfield one, yes, a striker is a really big position for this team. But I'm almost getting to the point now where I think midfield could be becoming even more more important now that Ainsley's gone. I just feel the lack of depth there looks very scarce. And I mean, it's difficult because in a month's time, you're going to have players back and you're now going to have one game, one game a week, aren't you? For the, you know, once the Carabao's gone, that's it. It's one game a week and you're basically going to play Xhaka and Party every game if you can. So it's going to be limited minutes, but you're at a stage where Lekonga is your only fit senior central midfielder. So it's a really pressing issue, but can they really get in someone even by Tottenham on Sunday, who's going to be able to go into that team. So I think it all comes down really to that Maitland-Niles deal, which feels like a big deal that's gone through. I'd love to know, you know, whether they knew about the Xhaka COVID before that had happened. Was it so far down the line that you suddenly can't wait and hold things? Um, because it's just left them really in the lurch. But my feeling is, um, I think they will definitely get someone in. Um but I, I, I think they've gone past the days of um, they're only going to spend their big money if it's really part of the product. I think they would rather just try and do a loan to get them through the sticky patch. Then I think sort of Cedric's probably a good example of a player you give a deal to that is not really the right fit for the project. So um, it's going to be interesting. And I, and I feel as well, it's going to be something, you know, sort of later, later towards the end of the window. It doesn't from, from things I'm hearing and, things that are being reported doesn't feel like anything's massively imminent uh, you know <laughs> it, i it, that i mean look i appreciate your honesty and mm. uh you know I, I know that you'd never say anything just for the sake of you know getting attention or getting few likes and stuff so i really appreciate that i think arsenal have balls it up i think it could be a case of you know false positives just a bit like what Klopp's done with <laughs> liverpool we might have to start mm. playing that card next week i'm not sure you know, party missing, Xhaka missing, to go into the North London derby. I mean, to be honest, the first leg of the League Cup, if Liverpool are going to rotate and we go there with with Laconga and God, I don't even know whom. I mean, that's just... Yeah. It's just I think it's, if, if, if Xhaka hadn't had thought. COVID, I think the situation would be would be so different. I really do. Um, it's just, I mean, it's, li- it's the worst time. I mean, you know, the Granite Xhaka autobiography is going to be a great book given the drama that comes with him but it's it's the worst time for him to be out with with covid yeah um, when mean, he's most needed a senior player like that in midfield and then maitland niles going and, and that is one of the things i think arteta we sort of pushed on it a bit yesterday asked about the timing of maitland niles going um and, and I, I sort of think that was something where it was so far down the line like i think maitland niles flew to rome on wednesday or thursday right that I don't know if you could have really pulled the plug and said, look, you've got to come back and play in these games. Um, I really do think if if the club had known about, you know, Jack having COVID before sort of entering talks to Rome, I'm really I'm certain they wouldn't have, or they'd have said, look, we need to, we can do this in the window, but we can't do it now. For a player who's been at the club, you know, since he was, what, eight, nine? Um, keep you for another John. two weeks. John jokes about Ramsey and <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I'm smiling because I'm a romantic, but you know, Jack Wilshere is obviously training with the first team as well. Could we see a Wilshere Ramsey central midfield against the Spurs? Who knows? Just final question, Simon, final question for you is um, things change in football very quickly, right? We're in January, you know, three, four days ago, 
the blueprint was there against Man City. We were in the League Cup semi-final against Liverpool. North London, London derby to look forward to and really cement our place in, in fourth. If things go badly over the next sort of two, three games, so, you know, we let's say we, we, we lose to Liverpool in the tie in the League Cup. Let's say the North London derby Spurs turn us over. All of a sudden, there are questions to be asked and it's panic time for Arsenal fans because top four will seem not in our favour. Obviously dumped out of all the cups and any sort of competition by January. That's not a good look for Arsenal Arteta, is it? No, and I mean, <laughs> this is the issue we were talking about, the whole Xhaka situation and uh, him having COVID now, but this two weeks feels so big, or this 10 days it is now. Um, these two Carabao games and the Liverpool game. But I, I, I don't think with... I mean, the Carabao obviously can be over in the space of those two ties, but I think even if you lose to Tottenham, I don't think that top four race will be done. Will be done by you know a defeat there, and you know you can bounce back instantly with a game against Burnley. So I think that's one that will be certainly in Arteta's mind when we're thinking about these transfers, and that's why I know some people have the argument that you need to get the striker over the central midfielder because the midfield issue is should do by the end of January. That should be eased, and you should have party back. Daka should have recovered from COVID. You'll have Elneny as well as a fourth option. So that'll that will have redeemed itself. But if Aubameyang's not in the fold, I think there is an argument with some people that you need to get the striker and that's the one you need that is going to make the difference in the race for the top four. That's the one who's going to get the goals and get you into the Champions League. And that's going to be the debate, I think, in terms of what you, what you do in the market, where you where you see the biggest issue to address. But for for this young group, I think we're going to learn a lot about them over this these next three games. Um, see what they're made oh, of. God. Um, and it's, it's you know, that, li that line never fills you with confidence, does it? See what they're made of. You know, yeah. it's like it's that classic line when you just think, oh my God, it, it could just be but, really bad. But so God, far, they've sorry, actually sorry. been they've been quite good from when they've had these sort of bad defeats. And I think of the Liverpool one, think of that, that little two game run where it was Everton United. Oh. Even the first three bounce games back. of the season, they've actually yeah. bounced back pretty well. Um, oh, fingers crossed, Simon. So, fingers crossed. You know, let's see. And it's it's, a, it's those three games are just huge. But I don't think, certainly for the top four, I really don't think it is going to determine who finishes top four. What happens at Spurs? But it will affect the mood. It will affect the mood. It, indeed. A couple of quick shout outs just before we go. Michael Grayson, Jed Spence was excellent yesterday, man of the match. Absolutely yeah. shout out. I mean, I just wonder how good the Middlesbrough right back must be because they've obviously loaned into Forest. <laughs> uh, but he did look absolutely superb. Uh, Michael also says Leno looked good, to be fair. We did say that at the start. I think mm. he was the only player that could have walked off that pitch with his head kind of held high. And Tim, a uh, really good question here. Do you see an end to the pandemic now that Klopp has found the cure? Liverpool went from everyone and their dog testing positive to fielding a team and making five subs three days later. Look, I know that's tongue in cheek. Uh, we've just joked about maybe Arsenal adopting a you know fake false positive whatever approach in case we have some injury pileups. Use Afcon as well, and if those are the rules, those are the rules. But thank you, Simon, for joining us on what is a always a miserable day after the, the you know the, the the defeat before, if you like. Um, really appreciate your time. Uh, enjoy the next few days. What's the plan for you? Are you going up to to Anfield, or are you? We'll be up at Anfield. Yeah. Um... We're actually sending two up there. So one of my colleagues is coming with me, so uh, which is great. So should be good. And then Tottenham Sunday, 
and then Liverpool at home again on the Thursday. So yeah, I'll be there for all three. Hopefully, um, yeah, hopefully some good results. I think, I actually think the legs being reversed, I think could be a big thing for Arsenal. I really didn't want Arsenal to be going to Anfield, <laughs> trying to sort of hold on to a lead or not know whether to attack or do we sort of sit back yeah. and take what we have. So I actually think that could be a could be a big benefit. And um, yeah, we'll have to see what who's in that Liverpool team come Thursday night and what sort of damage has been done. Indeed. And then, of course, the North London derby at the weekend. Look, lots to look forward to. Uh, everybody who's watching, please do drop a like on the video and a subscribe to the channel. It's greatly appreciated. Simon, thank you very much for joining us. We'll have lots more breakdowns coming up. Big, big games to come now. So until next time, guys, see you very soon. 